I heard a story, and I had to wait for the kids to leave to tell this story. And a man was, a man was driving one day, and all of a sudden, the Easter bunny runs out in front of him with all, his, all the eggs and all that, and he can't stop in time, hits the Easter bunny, eggs go everywhere. He's out, and he's feeling terrible. He's just hit the Easter egg. He's going to ruin this kid's Easter, if you believe in the Easter bunny. Um, and he's feeling bad, and so he's there trying to resuscitate the Easter bunny, and another lady drives by, and she sees him, and she stops, and she uh, comes over, and she goes, oh, can I help in any way? And he's like, I can't resuscitate the Easter bunny. It's, Easter's ruined. And so she goes, oh, I can help. So she grabs in her purse and grabs this bottle, and she begins to spray it all over the Easter bunny, and all of a sudden, he awakens, grabs all his eggs that had been scattered and starts walking, hopping down the road, and every 50 feet, he'd stop and wave. And she, he's, she, he's wondering, what, what in the world did you spray on that bunny to give it life again? And he grabs the bottle, and it's a bottle of uh, hairspray. <laughs> Leaves a permanent wave. Every 50, I'm sorry, I had to. You're welcome. You're welcome. Got to lighten it up in here a little bit, all right. Now we, we're here to celebrate Jesus, not the Easter Bunny. Okay. Permanent wave. All right. There's a quote that says, from Emil Brunner, Brunner says this, what oxygen is for the lungs, such is hope for the meaning of human life. How many today are living without hope, just faking it till they make it, behind the masks, our broken lives of people who are in despair. You know, it says in Matthew 9 that Jesus looked upon the crowds and he said, they, he, his heart went out to them. He says, for they are distressed and dispirited and they're like those without a shepherd. And so his heart looked, on, looked upon the masses and saw that they were distressed and dispirited. I think we today can look upon the masses and, and see the same thing. Many are distressed and dispirited. They're without hope. And over this last year, many have struggled, many have been through some things, and they've just given up. They're in a place of despair. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants to bring you hope. He wants to bring you a resurrected hope, a living hope. You know, we're in a society where suicide is an epidemic. I know we talk about the pandemic all day, but suicide is at an all-time high because mental health is affected in many lives today. People are facing depression and in ways that we've never seen before having been isolated and away from human relationships and that has an effect on you over time but they need the breath they need the hope of life to come back into them and i want to really start with a definition of hope this morning it's the feeling that you know the, the, the dictionary says this the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. How many have had some hope that things would change in your life at some point or another? But the Bible hope is a little bit different. The word is elpizo, and it says to wait for salvation with joy and full confidence. With joy and full confidence, I said church this morning. Hopefully to trust in. It's simply not wishing something will happen, but it is the idea of a positive expectation with confidence. And see, that's different. See, we, had a, we have this, um, in my work, we do program management, and we used to have this meeting that we'd have to go to to 
to get reviewed and determine if we were ready to move to the next phase in our project. And there was a group of people who review your project. And there was one lady on there who ran the entire, entire meeting. And she had this thing and, and she would ask, you know, are you, you guys think you can make this schedule? And uh, quite often the response was, we're hoping that this will happen. And she would say it, and she sounded like, if you remember the movie Monsters, Inc., the lady who took the papers. She'd say it like, Hope's, hope is not a plan. Hope is not a plan. But for the Christian, hope is a plan. I want to say that this morning. Hope is a plan. We can hope. We have something to hope for. And it's not just wishful thinking. It is a sure confidence that we can have a joy and, of his salvation this morning. So I want to share with you some stories that have already been touched upon, <laughs> praise God, of hope from two different accounts in the Gospels of the, of the disciples who encountered the risen Lord on the greatest Sunday in history. I said the greatest Sunday in history. John chapter 20, verse 11 through 13 says, But Mary was standing outside the tomb, weeping. So as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have put him. The first hope I want to talk to you about this morning is a hope lost. You see, Mary's place was outside the tomb. That, earlier that morning, while it was still dark, she had come with the other woman, women to prepare spices and, and anoint the body of Jesus, only to find the stone rolled away in this quite dramatic scene of the angels. And they were in radiant white glory. And there they are sitting upon the, 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 rock, the stone, one says. And the other version says that he, he, they were in the, in the tomb. And so they, they said, he's no longer here, as Pastor shared. He's risen. The one you're seeking is risen. Go tell my disciples. And so they went with this message. In one, one account, it says they asked her, why do you seek the living one among the dead? So this has already taken place. She goes, talks to the disciples. They come back. You remember the story. Peter and John are running, and, and John outruns Peter. Come on, somebody. John was eager to get there. And he got to the tomb, and he looked in, and said he stooped in, and he believed. And Peter looked in, and he marveled. But one believed, one marveled, but they both went back with the report. But the question of the angels in this account here is, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? And I think it's a question we should ponder this morning, why she wept. You know, first it was a cry of grief. She was facing the reality of life without Jesus. After all, he had given her a new hope in life. He had delivered her from the seven tormenting demons and bondage, casting out those demons from her. And because of that, she was forever indebted to him. She followed him. She loved him with all her heart. She ministered to him in his time of need while he was ministering to the masses she followed with the group of women, and this, she had made it a part of her life. She had given up and chosen to follow Jesus as a disciple, and not only that, a close friend. 
So she was indebted to him. So she cried the cry of grief. And we've experienced this if you've lost someone precious, if you've lost something precious in your life, you feel that grief, that absence of that person or thing that you've lost. And so she cried this cry of grief. And this was a trial to her faith. How many know we've all had some moments, so to speak, of lingering near the tomb? Where we sit and we look upon what was and what we've lost and what, what, what we hoped would be and it's no longer. And we sit in grief of what was lost. I remember last year when the pandemic started and, I, and how many felt this way? You look back and you look at your memories on Facebook or on your photos of vacations. Come on. And this grief just hit your heart going, are we ever going to be able to go on vacation again? Something was lost. But more seriously, those who have lost a loved one know this grief, this absence, this feeling, this, this, this love because you love this person so much. She was probably confused and trying to figure out what's going on. She goes, I just want his body. I was going to anoint it. So it was a cry of grief. In grief, there is confusion and a sense of despondency that can come into our lives. We can lose hope. We can lose heart. We can go into a place of despair where we just give up. When hope is in the balance, faith is on life support. How many of the Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for? The evidence of things not seen. So without hope, there can be no faith. And see... What makes faith substantive is that that hope changes us. That hope makes us do something. It makes us change our lives. It makes us live a life of purity because we know we're going to go see him one day. Come on, somebody. There's a hope. But it was a cry of suffering for her Savior. You know, she was one of the few disciples that was still with Jesus at the cross when he suffered the most. She saw it up close and personal and firsthand, how he was pierced, how he was, how he was nailed, and how he suffered, and how he cried out to his father. She saw those final hours close up while the disciples were distant, many of them. So it was a cry of suffering. You know, there's many in the world who are crying from suffering today who don't understand, why is this happening? Why am I going through this? Why is there suffering in the world? In fact, the biggest accusation against God, if God's so good, why is all this suffering happening? How many know that was not his plan? That's man's choice that caused this suffering. But still yet, there's a cry in the heart of human, every person. Why does this suffering happen? How can I alleviate this suffering? She saw him suffer. But more so, she saw him suffer unjustly. It was a cry for injustice. This wasn't the way things were supposed to go. This man was perfect. He was gentle. He was kind. He was loving. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He healed the lepers, those who no one would touch. That's who Jesus ministered to. This man, innocent, sinless, spotless lamb of God, would suffer and die a criminal's death between two other criminals. This isn't just. This isn't right. Many today are crying in despair for injustice in our world. They've seen the wicked prosper. They've seen the innocent suffer. They ask the question, why? We've all experienced some form of injustice in our life at some point or another. Unfairness, we ask why. Why this suffering? Why this incurable disease, this divorce, this abuse, this untimely death, this catastrophe, this pandemic? Ultimately, 
It was a cry of lost hope. But we keep reading in verse 14, it says, When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni which means teacher. Second hope we talk about this morning is the hope found. You see, Mary failed to recognize Jesus and mistook him to be the gardener. How many times have we failed to recognize Jesus in our lives? That he's trying to speak to us. That he's trying to reach us. I know for many years I ran from Jesus. I ran from his call in my life. He was after me with his mercy, with his grace, calling after me all that time. And yet, I failed to recognize him because I wasn't listening. Jesus reveals himself to Mary, not by telling her who he was, but by telling her who she was to him. And that's, what he's, that's the way he comes to us who have lost heart, who have lost hope, who are in a place of despair. As he comes and he speaks to us personally, he speaks to us with that kindness, that tenderness that only Jesus can speak with, saying, Mary. I'm here. It's me. It's me. And in that moment when he, her eyes were open and she realized because she heard, she couldn't see with her eyes, but she could hear because the Bible says that my sheep hear my voice and they will not follow the voice of another. She heard that voice and it was a familiar voice. And she turned to him. In that moment of hearing his voice, everything changed. Because he was alive. Hope was alive in that moment. Everything she had been grieving about changed. My Savior, this close friend who I've lost, he's here now. He's still, he's overcome death, hell, and the grave. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. This stone was not just shoved up against that grave hole. It was sealed with the Roman seal. It was guarded by guards who were willing to give their lives to keep people from stealing the body. And yet, he overcame that. He overcame man's power. He overcame the Roman authority. He overcame natural obstacles to come out of that grave because of the power of the resurrection. Come on, somebody. Hope found. The risen Lord comes to the aid of those who have lost hope, lost heart, are broken, and he speaks directly to us personally. Psalm 34, 18, somebody needs to hear this this morning. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. You might feel crushed this morning. You might feel under it, but I'm here to tell you there is still hope. You have breath. There is still hope. Come on, somebody. We go on to read, Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he has said these things to her. Notice she clinged to him. Say, I lost you once. I'm not going to lose you again. Come on. 
I'm not going to lose you again. How many know we want to cling to him? Cling to Jesus. But in this moment, he said, don't cling to me. Why? Because this, it's not over yet. I got to ascend. I have, a, I, have to, I have some business to finish. I have to go to my father. I still have to ascend. And yet, here's what we do. We want to cling to what we can see, what we can feel, what we can hear, what we can sense. That's what we want to cling to. But in Romans chapter 8, it says this, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. Come on. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. He says, there's another hope, Mary. I'm going to go ascend to my Father. I'm going to send forth the promised one, and he's going to be in you. It's going to be better than even having me in the flesh. Come on, somebody. I'm sending my spirit. I'm ascending to the Father. I'm the, he was the forerunner who went before us. He went into the Holy of Holies, the Bible says in, Ruman, in Hebrews chapter 9. Just like in the Old Testament, there were was, there was shadows and forms of things to come. They, they would, the priest once a year would go into that Holy of Holy places with the blood, the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. And he would put that blood upon the altar, upon, upon the mercy seat. And then the fire of heaven would come down. And then there would, the sins of the nation would be forgiven. But Jesus once and for all went into the Holy of Holies in the heavenly place, the real one. And he went in and he once for all finished the job. Come on, somebody. Once for all, he finished it. And Hebrews goes on to say he will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await for him. We have a hope and a future, church. Come on. We need to live as a people who eagerly await his second coming so that we aren't like those disciples who were taken by surprise, even though he had told them multiple times, I will rise on the third day. He's given us his word. He's coming back. We have a hope. Hope lost, but hope found. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 24, where we've already been today. Praise God. We're going to go back. And here's Jesus, these two men, somewhat anonymous disciples. We know one's name was Cleopas, but we don't know the other one. But they're on a, they're on a journey to Emmaus, which the Bible says was about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And they're on this journey, and they're having this chat, and they're processing everything that's been going on on this amazing day, these last few days, trying to make sense of it, perplexed and sad. And Jesus comes in. He was uh, snooping in their conversation. He said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. I can see Jesus behind him going, yep, that's right. Amen. How the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping, somebody say we were hoping, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. Here they were on a journey. And here's what I love is that they're on their journey 
And Jesus comes up and joins them. And it's such a picture of our lives as we're walking as disciples. And there's times when we're just discussing between ourselves the things of God, the things going on in this world. We're trying to make sense of it. We're perplexed. Maybe we're saddened by everything going on. And Jesus comes in the midst. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. And he comes in and he gets into your third, into your conversation. We have this saying in our house when my wife and I are having conversations that we don't want our kids to hear or be a part of. And they like to snoop. How many have some kids that like to snoop a little bit? I was one of those. I'd listen outside my parents' room and they were like whispering. And our saying is this. This is an A-B conversation. You need to see your way out. But don't see your way out with Jesus. Come on, let him enter the conversation. He's part of it. You know, it says in, in Mark chapter 16, verse 12, it says, after that he appeared, and this was after Mary, as Pastor John shared, that Jesus chose to first appear to Mary Magdalene is amazing in and of itself. She was the first evangelist of the re resurrection. Come on. I love that. Jesus does it his way. Come on, somebody. And after that, he appeared to a different, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along their way to the country. You see, he had appeared to Mary, or at least what she thought was a gardener. And now he appears to these men as a fellow traveler. I love that Jesus comes to us in a way he knows will reach us. He comes to us in a way that will relate to where we're at. Come on. Jesus knows where you're at. He knows how to reach you. He knows how to get into the middle of your conversation if you'll let him. He enters into the discussion, and I want you to notice what they said. They were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. They were hoping. Implying that they had given up hope. The crucifixion was the end of the story, but even as Minister Jose shared, the story wasn't over. They had joyfully trusted and waited for salvation of Israel. And you know what? There had been many false messiahs. There had been many that came and went. And because of their misunderstanding of Scripture and God's plan, their hope of redemption, at least in their hearts, had been deferred. The third type of hope this morning I want to speak to you about is a deferred hope. A hope deferred. And in Proverbs 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And I can relate to this so many times. We're trying to make sense of God's plan in our life, what He wants to do, where He wants to take us, where He wants to lead us make sense of what's happening in the world and saying, God, where are you in the middle of all this chaos? Where are you in the middle of this pandemic? Where are you in the middle of all this, these riots and everything going on in our world? We're trying to make sense of it. And he enters in. But we misunderstand many times. We misapply scripture. We don't understand his purpose. And because of that, we start hoping in something that's not his plan. Are you with me this morning? We hope in something other than Him. 
See, the psalmist said, soul, why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. In him is our hope. They were hoping for a political change. All right, Christians, got quiet in here. He's going to come and redeem Israel. He's going to make us a powerful nation again. Yes, but not in the way you thought he was. We've had expectations, and we're discouraged because our expectations haven't been met. Ooh, expectations can be dangerous when they're wrongly said. Because we keep hoping for something, and it's deferred, it's delayed. We're hoping for something, it's deferred, and it's delayed. And soon you just, oh, when's this going to come? When's this going to come? And the heart gets sick. We have many with sickened hearts today. They live a life, something other than they hope for. They're filled with the should-haves, could-haves, and would-haves of regret. Many times our condition is a result of wrong perspective on who God is and what his word actually says. But Jesus hasn't given up on us. He didn't leave them in their confusion. He comes and he says this. He goes, they keep going on. They go, but also some women among us amazed us. Well, that's great. You were amazed. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and, and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. So they've got the eyewitness account. They've got the, te- the testimony of the other disciples. And yet they're still perplexed and sad. The reality is, when our heart is sick from hopelessness, our heart is sick from a deferred hope, we have a hard time seeing what God wants us to see. You see, if you've been disappointed, if you've been discouraged, if you've had things fail in your life there's been things you've hoped for and they haven't happened soon you can get to a point where you're afraid to hope again you're afraid to trust again because you said i hoped for this before and it it didn't happen and i'm sick in heart i don't know what you've been hoping for this morning but don't give up put your hope in him come on somebody what if there's another letdown i'm not going to believe it till i see it for myself. Jesus responds and speaks to their unbelief. And you see, if you're a disciple, I said, if you're a disciple, then you can hear this word. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. There's an exclamation point. So Jesus, Jesus raised the volume. Come on. You say, well, that's not very nice. I thought he was tender and kind. Well, he, he cares about you enough to get you off the wrong path. He cares about you enough to bring you to a place of truth. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. He laid it open for them. And he began to show, this is me in every book, every 
of one of those 39 books of the Old Testament, there is a picture of Christ pushing, pointing to him, pointing to his coming, pointing to who he would be, pointing to how he would live, pointing to how he would die, pointing to how he would be resurrected, pointing to the fact that he'd have a kingdom and of his kingdom there would be no end. It described in the fullness who he would be. Hundreds of prophecies speaking to the life of the Messiah. And he went through there. He took the time because that's how much Jesus cares. He wants to show you his truth. The Bible says we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. But it's the truth that we know. And that knowing comes through knowing him. The law of Moses pointed to Christ. All the sacrifices for sin in the law pointed to the one who would offer one sacrifice for sins for all time. David the psalmist prophesied the Holy One whose soul would not suffer corruption, who would not be abandoned to Sheol, who would not undergo decay in Psalm 16. Then in Psalm 22, he spoke of the entire experience that he had on the cross. You see, there's so much evidence pointing to the life of the Messiah. It's like this one. You guys watch The Voice, and there's the guy on there who goes like this. That's Jesus. He's going, come on. Every book, every prophecy, do you see me? Isaiah spoke of the suffering servant, despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, who would bear our griefs and sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him described the cross, described everything the suffering servant went through. In all, just in the day of his crucifixion, some odd 30 prophecies fulfilled that pointed to who he was and what he would do and what he would suffer. And when it says he explained, that means he unfolded it for them. Truth, truth, do you see it? I am he. They still weren't seeing it. But they're intrigued. Some of us, that's how we came to the Lord. God begins to show us some truth. And we're like, I want to hear some more. I want to hear some more. And it says that, and they approached the village, verse 28, where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, stay with us. Do you see this? Jesus is going to keep going. And he's going, do you want me to come? He needs an invitation. He needs an invitation into our house, into our place of, in our hearts. He needs an invitation. But they urged him. And, and the Bible, and this, this word urged is like they constrained him. It's almost like they grabbed him. No, 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 you must come with us. Come on. Stay with us, for it is getting towards evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them, and when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began to give, giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, We're not, oh, listen to this, we're not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? While he was explaining the scriptures to us, were not our hearts burning? Last hope I want to speak of this morning is the hope revealed. Stay with us. They may not have yet recognized him for who he really was, but they knew 
They wanted more of his company. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I hope you'll invite him. You'll constrain him to come and recline with you. He says he knocks at the door of our hearts. And if we'll open the door, he'll come in and he'll sup with us. He'll recline with us. He'll be with us. He'll speak and share truth with us. For those who are sick in heart, perplexed with life circumstances, he only needs an invitation. He'll come and have fellowship with you, communion with you, and reveal himself to you. But I often think, what was it about that moment of breaking bread that, opened, that their eyes were opened? What caused their eyes to be open in that moment? Could it have been that they saw his pierced hand when he broke the bread? Was it how he blessed the food? Could it have been the manner in which he shared the bread with them? Who knows? But their eyes were open. Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church in chapter 1, verse 18 says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Somebody say the hope of his calling. Burning hearts. Jesus wants to give us burning hearts for him, a blaze for him, filled with hope. If you'll stand to your feet, we're going to close this morning. Someone also shared this verse, but I'll share it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, his great mercy, oh, his great mercy. You see, mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Isaiah 53 says, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has gone his own way. Romans 3.23 says, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in his mercy, in his mercy, come on somebody, how many remember that day, this morning, you were born again to a living hope? See, I can go through, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul lays out like, the brilliant lawyer that he was, he lays out the case for the resurrection. He says, if there's no resurrection, then our faith is futile. Come on. What are we doing? Let's just shut up the church. Let's just quit doing what we're doing. Just go back. Maybe we can just level the church and put something else here. Might as well, because if there's no resurrection, what are we doing? You see, they marveled at his teaching. Or they were moved by his teaching. They, were marveled, they marveled at his miracles. They, they mourned his crucifixion. But it's his resurrection that made the difference. See, without his resurrection, he would have just been another great, good man, martyr. But because of his resurrection this morning, we have life. See, the grave no longer has power over us. There is some, there is a hereafter. There is a hereafter. This ain't all it's about, folks, this morning. 
Your life is more than the dash on your gravestone. See, how we live in this moment here in this time determines how we will live in eternity. The choices we make now matter because they matter in how we will live in eternity. Many of us have lived in the moment seeking to fulfill desires some other way other than through Christ. And we're left with this emptiness. See, I know I experienced that 25 years ago. When after years and years of rebellion and sin and running from God, I woke up one morning and realized I'm empty. I'm empty. All this stuff has left me empty. Because I believe in every single human there is a God-sized hole. And you can try to fill it with the things of this life, but you will be like hope deferred. You will be like hope deferred. You'll keep filling it and filling it. It's not it. It's not it. So I have to get something else. I have to get success. If I just get this job, if I just get this, then that, then I'll be good. If I just get this relationship, then I'll be good. But yet you get there and you're still empty. You're still empty. Then one night at this altar, God touched my life. Jesus in his great mercy came and he touched my life. And he said to me this, he said, you've tasted of the world, but now I give you a taste of me. Now you decide. Psalmist said, taste of the Lord and see that he is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. What does it mean to take refuge in him this morning? It's to make him your hope. Don't know where your hope has been. Maybe it's on life support this morning. Maybe you're in a place of grief. Maybe you're in a place of sorrow. You say, I've, I want to believe, but help my unbelief. I hear you, Pastor, this morning, but I'm so mired in this place. I need hope. Holy Spirit's here to come with his love and his grace and once again awaken your heart to a hope and a future. To open the eyes of your heart to the hope of his calling just as he revealed himself to Mary Magdalene, just as he revealed himself to these two disciples. He knows how to do it this morning. He knows how to come and make himself known to you. Will you invite him? Will you say, come in? Will you urge him, say, come in, Lord? Will you acknowledge this morning that all the things that we've been seeking, you've been seeking are, are emptiness and vain, vanity. God has is better. It's a life. You see, this resurrection is so important. That is the very basis of our faith. Because in Romans 10, 9, it says, if, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved.
There's so much proof to this resurrection, but the greatest proof I can offer you this morning is all around this room, lives that have been transformed, lives that have been changed, sinners delivered, marriages restored, lives healed, bodies touched, healed, because his resurrection power is still alive today in his church, in his people. He's alive today. He's in us. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So wherever you are this morning, I want to pray for you. I know we're situated differently with these tables this morning, and I'm not going to ask you to come up, but I'm going to ask you where you are just to bow your head for just a moment. And I wonder if you would just let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Let him restore hope in your life this morning. If you're here this morning, you've never made him your Lord and Savior. You've never confessed him to be Lord. You've never turned your life to him. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached the message of resurrection, and it was so powerful and so moving that these thousands of people who heard it, they turned to him and said, what shall we do, must we do to be saved? Repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and receive the Holy Spirit. Repent. Oh, it's not a bad thing. It just says, Lord, I acknowledge you this morning. I acknowledge that I have sinned, that I've tried to do things my way. There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is death. This morning, he's trying to keep you off that way to his way. He is the way, the truth, the life. Will you give him your heart? Will you give him your life? Whether you're here in person or whether you're online right now, where you're at, if you've not committed your life to him, you say, I know I'm away from him. I know I'm not in the right place with Jesus this morning. I need to make my life right with Jesus this morning. If that's you, just lift your hand where you're at. Lift your hand. I see your hands. Anyone else here this morning? Let's all pray together. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace this morning. Open your eyes. If there's someone with their hand raised next to you, just pray for them. If, there's, if you need hope this morning, you're in a place of despair, just lift your hand where you're at. Maybe you have sickness in your body or you're struggling, you're in a place of hopelessness or despair, God is here to minister to you. Before we go to this meal, Holy Spirit wants to minister to people in this place. And if that's you, just lift your hand and we're just gonna sing this song and, and let the Holy Spirit move in your life. Father, we thank you. We bless you this morning, Jesus.